Buju, watch it. Welcome to the third episode of the In Between People podcast. Today's episode, we have Ron Indian Mandaman sharing some of the creation story with us. Ron is an Ojibwe Anishinaabe from Shoal Lake 39 or Iskatewe Zagegan. Ron identifies as a gay man. He is a full-time educator and is currently a culture and language support coordinator for Bimose Tribal Council. Ron is also a conductor of the Medewan situated in his home community of Shoal Lake. Ron is a knowledge keeper and promotes Minobamadzawin, or a healthy balance in life. We recorded audio during a workshop in May 2021 and wanted to share these stories with youth who were unable to attend. Reflecting on the teachings he shared, they're incredibly impactful and in that they show the real scope of acceptance around gender diversity. Without further ado, we present the following audio in hopes that you're able to connect and identify with what he shares. Shout out to Jeremiah Otis for creating our intro song called Cree Anthem. teachings do you have around being two-spirited like what were our teachings before colonization and you know those ideas came along how did we view two-spirit people okay i'm just gonna turn up my volume here that way i can hear and i want to apologize in uh, advance i <clears throat> when i do remember some of the work the teachings I sometimes close my eyes and they're closed so that I have a better visual. I, uh, again, I will start off by introducing myself, uh, Ron Indian Mandamin, Dushnikaz, Patikumeganangdigo, Bejo, and Dutemashege, Otenemon. I'm of the Lynx clan and I also come and fall under the, the Pelican clan. And, uh, I am from Show Lake here in the center, right close to the Manitoba border and Minnesota borders. And uh, I also come from a place called the Grassy River, which is on the eastern side of Lake of the Woods. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in a very uh, traditional lifestyle, but yet my parents uh, were very contemporary as well. They made sure that we as children knew our background as, as uh, original people. But they also wanted us to know that we we live in a world today that will continuously change. And they made sure that we knew those changes. They made sure that we kept up with those, uh, what they call current trends. That way we, we know how to survive with those changes and that we carry what we have with us uh, into the future in terms of language, teaching, song, ceremony. So with that upbringing, uh, I was very young, around seven, eight years old when they started to introduce me to ceremony life. And there was only several of us children at the time who were allowed to be in the, the big lodge, the Midday Lodge. At that time, about 35 years ago, they didn't allow children 
more young people to be in the ceremonies because of fear, uh, the fear and the impacts from residential school. And those impacts caused a lot of uh, disturbances in terms of what was being taught to the young people at those times. And then even today, there are still some people who are afraid to acknowledge or or even uh, support our young people in, in, in uh, searching out for, for a place for, for ceremony. So I was fortunate enough that our parents were adamant. They were very, they were very uh, <clears throat> instrumental in making sure that we were included in those ceremonies, along with those parents that uh, brought their children to those ceremonies. And I often wondered why there was only like maybe 10 of us kids and a whole of the lodge, and there's several hundred of them. Why weren't there kids involved? So it was my under, I grew up thinking all those impacts from residential schools affected those, those choices that were made and what protocols that were, were left in terms of ceremony life. But uh, again, I was fortunate enough to, to be a part of that. And I was, I was so gravitated and pulled to, to a sound, a certain sound, which was a, a water drum. And it was a water drum that actually <clears throat> pulled me in even more. And I became more sensitized in terms of spiritual living. And at a very young age, uh, things started to, to happen to me uh, in terms of a spiritual awakening, a spiritual sense. And it started off what I would call night terrors. Uh, it seemed like night terrors, I was always scared. And it became more, more stronger in a sense that uh, I was being guided towards something. So they took me, excuse me, I have real bad allergies too. So they took me to Panema, Minnesota, where I went through Midday for the first time at a very young age. And that is where I was uh, given instruction already. I don't remember because I was so young. But my mom remembers giving those instructions about what I would become in the future. And because my parents were young and survivors of residential school, they didn't really understand what was being told to them. And they were being ushered that I one day would be carrying a, a workload for, for the people. And they didn't quite understand that. So with that, I started to develop a, a very big sense that there was more to this world than what we see today. And I, I was given the ability, and now I consider it a gift that we were, that we have a special opportunity to connect with the different things around. And I'll explain that more with a story with, uh, with a creation, one of the many creation stories. And this story involves Wainabojo, and they'll call him Wasaki Jock, Ayash. He has many names. He has many names around North America. Uh, but for us, we call him Nenebojo, which means uh, someone who periodically checks up on us. Nenanamo is the, the root word to Nenebojo. Nenanamo. And uh, that means to, to check up on somebody. And his mom, we referred to as Nenani Kwa. She was the she was the giver of life, human life, the current human life. So we call her Nenani Kwa, uh, a woman who 
who came to check up on us to make sure that we were evolving, making sure that we that we were given special instructions and those instructions were needed to be withheld. And, and part of that uh, experience for me is when I became aware of who I was, who I am, I should say, I too knew that I was different. I too knew that I, I was attracted to the same sex. And I knew that I was different that way. And so did my parents. So I didn't have, I didn't have that uh, time in my life where I came out because I was already out. I was already there. They knew who I was. And they, they, they made sure that I, I uh, love myself for who I am. And I was also born Mark too. I was born holding on to my mother's cord. So it prevented some fingers from growing. So that too made me really, really uh, <clears throat> appreciate what I was given as I got older into my teen years. And when I got into my teen years, that's when I knew about uh, the differences in sexuality gay, lesbians, transgendered, all these terms that I never knew about, all these terms that I, I had to learn about because my parents didn't know about it. My community didn't know about it at the time. All they knew was the term when it was gay, lesbian. And we didn't hear the term two-spirit because it, it uh, was new, it is new. And I didn't hear about it, not until about, about 20 years ago when I moved to Toronto. That was the first time I heard about that term. And it was the first time I, I really felt some sort of connection, not a really deep connection, but for the first time I felt there is more to, to who I am. So I started to explore that and it took me a very turbulent road in Toronto. I was looking for myself there. And what I found was a culture that was not healthy, uh, a gay culture that was not healthy. There was a lot of partying going on. There was a lot of drinking, especially in the big city, because I thought that's what being gay was about. That's where I went to it for two years. I I uh, hurt myself by, by being immersed in that culture with partying, drinking, and all of that. And uh, to me, that was their way because I did, and I hate to bring their name into it, but that's where I worked was the two-spirited people of the First Nations. And that's all they did was party and party. And that, that, that system, I thought, okay, that's what this life is about. So for two years, I, I lost a lot of my spirituality. I put it down thinking, oh, that's not for me. And out of nowhere, after those two years, I was like hitting a brick wall. And I became sick from too much drug use. And I came home to Shoal Lake again. And that's where I rebalanced myself with going back to ceremony life. And I found myself back there. And I left Toronto uh, confused even more, confused thinking if that's what being gay is. I don't want any part of that because I couldn't find a place in Toronto. Wherever I looked, everyone was partying. Everyone was partying. Every gay, lesbian person that I met wanted to be at the bar 
didn't want to go to ceremony, didn't want to go to powwows. So I was like kind of feeling defeated, like, wow, there's no place for us, for me. Uh, what am I going to do? So I was 19 when I came back home to Shoal Lake. And that is where I was reminded again, go back to, to our teachings, go back to those stories. And it was for the first time, even though I heard those teachings over and over again since I was that young age of seven, eight years old being in ceremony, that's where it clicked in, boom. And that's when I remember my parents said, you must pay attention. You must learn those stories. You, you, you'll see yourself in those stories. Those were the words my parents left with me. So now that I listen to those legends and those stories, I'm more aware of who I am as an individual, who I am as a, a spiritual individual, and what, what work that we have as people to correct those turbulences that are there and to ensure that we, we keep walking in a, in a way that's healthy and, and respectful and in a way that we can use all those, all those turbulent memories to make a bridge to help those people behind us follow a healthier road. And uh, that's where I, I lead up to this, this story I'm going to share with you. And then my eyes will be closed. And I apologize for that, but that it accommodates with song and, and uh, a little bit of the language, but I'll, I'll translate as, a, as best as I can. And <clears throat> this story is, I'm going to condense it. It's usually done in about two, three days, uh, and each time about six hours a day. So it's a very extensive story. So I'm going to kind of bring it down to a few minutes for, for us to to have a taste of that so that you have a taste of that. When, uh, before humans were even made, there were already a set and different types of humanoid beings that were already here. And that woman I spoke about, some people call her Manitou, a spiritual being who was so kind and we hear that term at ceremonies, Manitou. And, and, it, and it's talking about this woman who, who loves us so much, loves us enough that, she'll, that she came and, and spoke on, uh, on our behalf. And when she did arrive here, she didn't touch the ground yet. She didn't stop. She didn't uh, put her, her, her feet on the earth at all. She was so afraid to, to disturb it. She didn't want to destroy what was here because before she arrived here she she was searching for a sound she heard the sound many many years ago when she could not identify what it was and everywhere she went throughout the universe the galaxies the different systems of, of solar she she did not feel that's where that sound was coming from and she met different life forms along the way but it wasn't until she got to this planet where she felt this is where I need to be. This is where I'm bringing life to. And when she did come here, she did ask the world first if it is possible for her to, to be here. And for a long time, they didn't answer her. For a long time, they, 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 they thought she would leave. If they didn't talk back to her, she, they would leave. That she would leave. 
eventually she almost lost complete hope hopelessness and finally it was the animals that responded first they said that they they saw how difficult it would be uh, that human humans would create such a, uh, a a hard world to live in that we would create such a disturbance in the natural world that would would, would it would affect us and it would affect our uh, our way of living it would affect our way of conducting our behavior and how we do things in, in terms of of living and they did not like how what they saw what they foresaw in the future so they said we don't want we don't want this type of life here if they're going to destroy it if they're going to destroy themselves if they're not going to work together if they're not going to work towards living in, in a common unity in a harmony in a, in a in a world of peace we we cannot have that here but they also saw that there would be a new people uh, a new a new set of beings that would carry and pick up the pieces. So they saw hope, and it was the young people. They saw hope in the future that there would be a time the young people would, would stand up and that they would pick up all those pieces that were, were dropped and left alone in terms of laws, principles, that we would revisit all of those things and bring them back to life again. To ensure that we have a continuum and a continuity of life here uh, on this world. So she eventually heard them talk to her. She eventually heard the animal world talking, then the plant world, then the water world. They all spoke to her and they all agreed that they would uh, allow us to be here only if we if we upheld the, the principles and the laws that they gave us, uh, we say uh, a rule, uh, laws, principles that would give us uh, a foundation of, of how to live. Because we hear that term, you gave us life, now show us how to live. It's it's not a term people always refer to as a as a Christian term or a religious term, but it's a living term that we even have in our scrolls. And our scrolls are about 8,000 years old. And those scrolls that we use to teach in the lodge here uh, are, are, are so full of, of knowledge that that term in there is so visible that somebody gave us life and they have to show us how to live. So when when that spiritual woman was uh, or this being sky woman we call her or the woman who periodically checks up on us when she agreed to those terms she finally was able to feel the earth and when she touched the earth it was like dancing she did not want to break even the 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 the, the smallest of the blades of grass or or shrubs she wanted she wanted to make sure that everything stayed the way it was. She did not want it destroyed. She did not want it broken up. And she she kept on, on going. And she became aware of how beautiful this place was. And that's when they, they gave her these instructions and these laws. And with that, I'm going to fast track. 
one day you'll hear the rest of what happens. But I want to fast track to where she gives birth. And she gives birth to quadruplets. And these quadruplets, one of them is Wainabojo or Wistakijak. And he has many different names. But he also had a, a, a set of two older brothers, Stone Boy or Flint. And another one was Lizard Boy or, or, or Snake Boy. And the youngest was a girl. The, the one of the quadruplets was a little girl. And her name was Wabagonika Flower Girl. And because of their extraordinary blood and mixed with the, 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 the remaining humans at the time, there were three humanoids that were left about 200,000 years ago. And one was a red-haired being, which we call Windigo, uh, a cannibal being. And another one was a Memeguashi, uh, a hairy being that what we refer, some people call rock people or little people. They were kind of small, not tiny, but smaller, Memeguashi. And then again, the humans that resembled almost that looked like us, but they were completely uh, hairless. They didn't have the hair. And uh, part of her uh, creation well, was us utilizing all those three bloodlines and her bloodline. And and when she gave birth to those babies, uh, they were they grew extraordinarily fast in the womb. So she needed to give birth pretty quick. It wasn't the natural nine months that we have today. It was cut to three months. And because of that, she she almost died. So she had to leave. She had to leave here in order to survive. So she abandoned her children out of out of uh, out of necessity. She had to. But when she, she I shouldn't say abandoned. I want to correct that she left the children in the care of a wolf. So it was the wolves who said, we're going to teach them as best as we can. We're going to teach them as much as we can about how to survive, how to live. So I think that's where that ideology comes, where, where um, and we see it in history throughout the world, that there are children being found with, with wolves, being cared by, by wolves. And it was this story that struck with me the most, and it still does today, where these quadruplets were, were born and taken care of wolves. And it was the wolves who taught the children how to hunt, how to survive, how to maintain balance with nature. And it was here where the story fascinated me and where I picked up, this is where it's so, so important so I'm going to fast track where from their children to where they're teenagers. And because these beings are, are different from each other, it was Nana Boju who, who had what looks like us. We were made in, in their image, Nana Boju and his youngest sister. Unfortunately, we didn't take on the characteristics of Flint or Lizard Boy. And as... Uh, <clears throat> As they get older, there are things that happen in their life, and then Abujo is becoming very aggressive, very mean and considerate. And this is, and at that time, then Abujo was making fun of appearance, of 
how uh, different creatures looked, how they smelled, how they acted. Kimik and Jr. He he made fun of them. He 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 even went as far as killing, killing certain things for fun, little animals, little insects, and and they did not like that. They saw how horrible Nanabuju was, and he was not a very he was very inconsiderate. He did not think about the things that he said or did, and it affected uh, the relationship around him with his siblings, with his environment, and he became very sick. And with his sickness, he became very agitated, very mad all the time. And that sickness was a mental sickness, and it caused him to to, to do certain uh, horrendous acts on his siblings, which caused them, two of them to die, and one of them to flee. The girl fled, fled Nanabojo's uh, horrible way. And hopefully one day you'll, you'll hear those. But when they did die, and when the girl fled, Nanabojo was left to himself. And that is where, where uh, he was given an opportunity to immerse himself with observation. So that is so key for, for us today, is to observe. Always be observant. Always be observant to what's going on around you. Often now, today, we see, we go to ceremonies, meetings, gathering, people are on their phone. They're always on it. So they're not uh, completely immersed on what's happening to them. They're not completely allowing themselves to listen wholeheartedly with their whole body. And that is part of where I understood that when I was in Toronto. I was like, hey, I'm not observing right. All I'm seeing is this partying. All I'm seeing are, is this type of, of culture that's not healthy. So I thought about those teachings and I, I went through them over and over again. And when Nana Boju was done uh, doing what he did, he was taken around the world by a wolf again for the second time. And on that second time, the, the wolf finally gave instruction to Nana Boju. We're going to name everything. We're going to give everything a name. So as they walked the whole planet, they named all the plants, all the animals, all the trees, all the food, all the different kinds of sand, all the different kinds of water, all the different kinds of everything. So he walked again for the second time, learning the names of everything. <clears throat> and on his second walk around the world, he was given an education. He was given an awareness of, of what was happening. But when he did come back to the first part of his origin, his, his walk, he realized how lonely he was. He's like, I learned all that I could, but I don't understand it. So that's the second teaching, is learning to immerse yourself and in, in, in what was given to you. You may know something, but do you understand it? So that's where, again, Nana Boza, I, I, I want to understand what I saw. I want to understand what you taught me. You taught me all these things, my Ingan, the wolf. Now I, I want to understand them. I'm lonely, he says to the, to the wolf. 
So the woman says, I'm going to part from you now. Now you're going to walk on your own. You walk by yourself and you, you, you learn about what I just taught you. So when is observation? This is where it's so important to, to hear, especially those of individuals who are looking <clears throat> to, to fit in, feeling that they don't fit in, feeling that they are not a part of society, feeling a part, feeling that they are not a part of a world, a living world of, of people. And that's where I used to feel too. That's where I felt. It's like there's no place for me. What are our gay ceremonies? That's what I used to think. I was like, there maybe there's a special gay ceremony for for us. Is there a different place that we can go just totally for gay people or two spirited people? That was my thought, thinking there's a place like that. So I searched around and also kept going over that teaching in my mind. And this is where Manabuja is walking for the third time. The third time going around the world, completely going around the world. And this is where he finally notices. He's finally paying attention. He's finally aware of what's happening around him. And he feels content. He's like, why didn't I open my eyes before? Why didn't I totally listen to what was being said to me, I had that opportunity. So as he's walking and observing this time around, he's noticing that things are in Paris. Everything is in Paris, male, <clears throat> female. And he notices how important that is, and there's a balance there. But then he feels lonely again. He says, I feel lonely. How come I don't have a partner? He, he's questioning. Why don't I have somebody for me? So as he's going around for the third time, he's noticing the pairs. He's noticing things that are reproducing. But he's also noticing, hey, look at these. Look at these things. And he's noticing that there are animals. Animals in the natural world that live just like us humans. And he noticed that there would be females with females. That he noticed that there would be males with males, and that they would sometimes at times intercross. And he was so fascinated with that. Even the trees, he was so fascinated with how things are intertwined and how things are so elaborate in terms of, of, uh, of maintaining structure. And this is where, <clears throat> where Nana Buju starts to, to think about himself. I want one of those. I want a partner too. So during his, his uh, experiences about seeing the different uh, life forms and the different things here on this world, he wanted a partner even more. And again, at the time, there are different humanoids, okay? This is where we got to keep in mind. There were three different sets of humanoids back then, about 200,000 years ago, and the new humans. So out of nowhere, we are here, even in a record, science record, we just came out of nowhere, current humans today. So science can't explain it, but we still, we have stories about it. And one day you'll hear about those. But as he's exploring himself, he realizes too that he, that he's attracted, not only to himself, but he's attracted to the male figure. 
but he's also attracted to the female figure. So as he's observing the earlier humans, they're evolving. Don't get me wrong, these earlier humans, we call them cavemen, they were evolving already too. Uh, simple, simple communication, simple skills of hunting, not quite gathering yet, but they, they were already learning how to, to successfully survive. So he became attracted to, to the male being and attracted to, to, to the female being. So in some of the Nanabodal stories that you'll hear with Sakijan, he transforms himself or disguises himself as a woman in order to, to experience what the women go through. And uh, he, he lives that way for a long time, trying to have children of his own. So he's experimenting what the, the female body goes through. And it just doesn't work for him because he, he's trying to reproduce. So you'll hear different stories and the more fur, further north you go, the more detail they are. And uh, it's so important that those stories don't change because <laughs> in the past 30 years, they cleaned up a lot of our stories. They cleaned up a lot of our legends where they're not, uh, they're not wholeheartedly anymore. They omit the sexual nature. They omit all those things, probably because of uh, the impacts of residential school. <clears throat> Anyways, going forward, Nana Bojo starts to realize, I, I too want to reproduce. I too want to be able to have children. <laughs> so eventually he, he's done living that way. He finally realized I can't have children. But he had the most uh, amazing time experiencing and experimenting uh, a life that 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 was uh, that was meaningful to him, because in that role he he experienced compassion, he experienced uh, a, a connection that that he wouldn't have if he didn't uh, understand what women went through the opposite sex. So now he realizes that he can reproduce the way he wanted to. And then he then he realizes he, he is wanting to make sure that life continues. So Nanabuju searches again and he meets two women who were in love with each other. These two women were were, were partners. They, 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 they were, they were together, and and Anabozo saw that. He saw that they were trying to have children, so they came up with this, <clears throat> this plan. They came up with an idea that they would bring life together, and he impregnated one of the those women, and the women were were like, uh, I don't want to say surrogate, but he gave himself to those women in order for them to have children. And those children, he came out quadruplets. Four little girls were born. Four little girls that were born to, to these two women, the, these ladies who, who, who were, were blessed with Nanabuju's uh, seed to, to give life. And out of those quadruplets, Nana Bojo raised them on his own with the help of those women. 
but he raised those those quadruplets. And with that raising of those children, we call it raising that child. He utilized his memory. I don't want these children to go through what I went through. I don't want them to experience what I inflicted on people, what he did to the beings while he was walking and learning. So he he also wanted the his children to be cared for very carefully, very special. So he made a pact with uh, these beings that we're watching, these giants. We call them Mesabe, Mesabe. So these giants weren't trusted to come and learn about the world, the planet. And these giants had a, a son, uh, a son who also wanted to make sure that uh, that his life would go on. And that son had a set of quadruplets too, four boys. So these four boys were given, handed over, we together, we say, we together in marriage. They were given to those women. You can give these to your daughters. So the men, those four quadruplets and the four girls, they created our current uh, human population today because of Nanabojo, because of those two women. And uh, that creation of, of the first humans, they, they were given different uh, instructions how to conduct themselves, where to migrate, what, what would be expected of them. So they grew up very well knowledge, well based in, in, in terms of living on this world living in a, in a unity where there was nothing would be destroyed so with the creation of those humans 200,000 years ago i would have fast track to 10,000 years ago and this is where uh, the sickness came there was a very big sickness and uh, it caused many humans around the world to die that was at the end of the last ice age and we may have, you may have heard the story of the little boy that was taken to the dark side of the moon and where he was taught certain things. And this is that story. And uh, while that boy was out in the moon learning and being taught about how to combat the sicknesses today and the things that we went through 10,000 years ago, uh, when he was brought back to this world, he, he was an older individual and uh, he was not a, a child anymore. So that's how long it took him to, to learn about, about how to combat sickness, mental sickness, emotional, spiritual, physical sicknesses. And that's where he was given the first drum, which is a, a water drum. And that little vessel is the cup of life, the, 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 woman's, uh, the woman's womb. And that was what was given to this, to this boy and who is now a man who is now brought back to earth and he's probably in his 40s the way he's depicted when he's brought back to this world and when he's brought back he isn't he's given these special special seeds he was given which is not manomen 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 or waldrice so he's given the these seeds and as a form of gratitude, these will give you life. These will help you live life. And as that little boy who is now a man was brought back here, 
he he was placed at a, a place we call where the spirit sits, Manitobe. And there's a place not far from here uh, where this account is recorded in stone. It is an 8,000-year-old site called Bannock Point. And if you ever have a chance, you guys go check it out. It's just north of West Hawk Lake. And it's an 8,000-year-old petroform site of the story I just told you. So it's actually accounted for and written in stone, stone upon stone. And that site is so special to me because it confirms these stories, it confirms all of the things that I'm talking about. So when that boy was delivered to that spot where the spirit sits, he, he's guided to, to back to his people. And at that southern part of that giant lake at the time, Lake Agassi, that's where his, the village was. And that's where he rekindled with his, his family, his tribe. And that's where he too realizes he is not the same as those, as those people. He realizes he's different and that he has a task. And he too is two-spirited. He, he knows that he's attracted to, to uh, <clears throat> the same sex. And he is given this task to carry those seeds. Meaning he is instructed to trade along the way. But he knows that he has a special, <clears throat> a special uh, task. And that's to meet somebody. He is going to meet somebody in his life. And we all look for that. We all look for a partner in our lives to share. And he knows that he was taught that while he was on the moon. And that's what the grandmother told him. You're going to meet someone special. Special that will take care of you. And you'll take care of that person. Of that individual. You'll share your life. You'll walk together. And you'll support each other. And uh, as he's leaving his uh, village after so many years of being away, he follows the mountain range, the western mountains. And he gets all the way down past uh, Panama, which we call a stretch of land. And they call it the Panama now, the Panama stretch or the Panama canal. But in the our language, Panama means uh, a stretch of a sandbar. So as he walks there, he meets a South American Indian, a male. And this boy is a Wakandawe. Wakandawe means to be brought up, to be flown up to a high altitude. So he meets this individual and he knows I'm attracted to him. I like this person. And not knowing who this individual was, Nanabuzu recognizes him some way, somehow. There's recognition. And Wakanda, where this boy, this, this other young man, he, he too was taken. He too was given teachings and he too was given a special seed. And it was Mandalman. Mandalman means uh, a miraculous seed, which is corn. So those two met Wakanda, and uh, and, and Katfut Kishkazet. The little boy's name is, he has the name Katfut Kishkazet. And Okadawe, they meet. So this is where we hear about Eagle meeting Condor. I'm not sure if there are any of you that uh, 
keep up with uh, prophecy in terms of uh, our nations. So there is a prophecy where the people of North America and South America will meet, that will become strong again, because each of these nations will be affected by a foreign body. And that foreign body did a whole big mess on us, on uh, the North and the South Americas. They, they, they disturbed our natural way of living and imposed their, 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 their idea of surviving onto us, their society, their idea of society was forced on us, causing us to lose our languages, to causing us to lose our traditional way of eating. So when those two met, they already knew they had a big, a big, uh, a very big uh, project ahead of them, a big initiative, a big meaningful uh, creation that needed to come together. So they walked hand in hand back around that lake. Uh, so back in the day, that the, there was a big lake, an ocean, which is the Gulf of Mexico. So Florida used to connect to that southern part, the northern part of South America. Uh, anyways, in the center there, it, it was at one time called Ogichibi. So there's still a place called uh, Ogichobi, they say, in Florida. So those two males were guided all around that big giant ocean to to the the eastern part of that ocean and that's where they met two 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 ladies and these ladies became known as uh, the sisters one was the keeper of uh, uh, the pumpkin and Awanen are our beans so these two ladies were were also given this new seed corn and these ladies were together. They they were uh, they were lesbians. Uh, they 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 were the keepers of the pumpkins and beans. And now they were given this new seed, uh, corn. So they became known as the three sisters: corn, pumpkin, including the squash and the beans. And they were given uh, authority, and they were given this opportunity to to teach the, the the coming of humans to remind them of their their origins their existence and this is where when i mentioned earlier looking for a specific ceremony for us so when that little boy kish went to the moon he was given ceremony he was given ceremony for the whole world for the whole planet. And those ceremonies were Midei, the Midei. And that was the very first ceremony given to any human in the world was that little boy, Kish, because Midei, when means uh, the sound that comes from the lodge, the pulse, the heartbeat. Ki ah, somebody is making a pulsing sound. So that's what that term means, Midei, is the sound that comes within that lodge. And it could be any lodge, the Midday Lodge, the Sundance, the, the, the Sweat Lodge. There's something pulsating coming from inside that lodge. So that was, was given to that little boy, was ceremony. And he taught it to his partner. And he taught the ceremony to those, to those ladies. 
And that's where it all just started to bloom. And it spread, and it spread so far and vastly. And it created a foundation of surviving. So that's how we were able to, to survive the last ice age of those ceremonies. And that last ice age proved to be an awakening. Uh, and it was a great sickness. And now here we are again with a, with a sickness that, uh, that's profoundly uh, powerful. But I fear there's something bigger coming. Uh, because when that little boy was taken, they say there was such a, a high death rate that it was uncontrollable. But that ceremony that was given to him would, would help uh, restore the balance around us, nature. So that leads me to believe that we are at a place right now where we have an opportunity to correct ourselves. Uh, the people around the world with the sickness that we are experiencing and the standstill that we're in, even though a lot of people are not liking it, we are being forced to stop, take a look at yourselves. Is this where we want to continue going or are we going to change ourselves, our attitudes, our behaviors? And some of that changes how people view us as two-spirited people and how we view others as, as people outside of our, our, our normal, our, our norms. And, and that's something that's so delicate and so meaningful because we cannot uh, omit ourselves from, from, from being a part of, of, of a lodge or a ceremony. And we see that today. And I'm going to tell you now, those of you that are searching out a place, you're going to find people who don't like us. You're going to bump into people that will say, oh, you shouldn't be a part of that ceremony. You're gay, you're lesbian, you're transgendered. Walk away from those people and keep going. Don't give up. That is my, my message is don't give up searching. You'll find a place, you'll find a place where, where you are loved, where you're welcomed. So in my experience from 20 years ago to today is I went to different lodges and each lodge I've experienced some sort of uh, uh, backlash. Oh, you're gay. You shouldn't be here. Oh, you, how come you know those songs? How come you're doing this ceremony? It's not a gay ceremony. That's not for gay people. So in my mind, I kept those stories. It was like, uh, this, there's no such thing as a straight ceremony or a gay ceremony. It's just something that was given to the whole of the planet. So there are no specific ceremonies for anybody. That's what I want to point out. And that's what I want you to, to remember, that there are no specific ceremonies to one group. They are all for everything and everyone. We all have a seat in that lodge. And when that whole period came of, of us maintaining that, that life of Manitou Wat, living like the spirits, we developed a, a very strong 
connection with our camps, our communities. And for me, I, I don't like calling myself too spirited because I can have many spirits and I do within myself. I have four names. So those are, for me, that's just my ideology. But when I do my work and hearing all those stories about people who identify as gay, lesbian, they are referred to as Nangwe, the people that are inside the snare. So they already had a term for people who identified as gay, lesbian, transgendered, is that these people kept the community together. These individuals were educators. These individuals were the ceremony keepers. These individuals were herbalists, healers. They were entrusted to that because they had all the ideologies of both sexes and all the support of both sexes and the knowledge of both sexes. And they were given that opportunity to, to keep everyone together. So Nangwayab is is a snare but also we refer to that as a rainbow the rainbow around the sun and that's a story you'll hear how how we were able to harness light is through through that snare so there's stories about that but that's where that term comes from Nangwayab. it doesn't really mean rainbow but it's talking about that halo around the sun actually a snare so Nangwe Ab is a snare, and we, that's what I referred to myself as Nawe Nangwe Ab, the person inside that snare. So we were, we're known as educators, and I'm sure that most of you have heard that term already, that we were entrusted to be the healers, the educators, the, 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 the herbalists. And, and for a long time, we, we were revered. For thousands of years, the two-spirited people were revered to be holy, to, to be given a special opportunity to know both worlds, both sexes, a special opportunity to be connected more with our environment because we, we have a better understanding of those things. Not everybody, but most of us. And that's where that... Uh, that teaching comes from it. We, I've heard it growing up after leaving Toronto, even before Toronto, was that uh, two-spirited people were, were the caretakers of ceremony at the time. So now we are, we're at a world, part of our lives where after the residential school and all these big impacts, we are slowly realizing we are those young people I talked about. We are those young people and those people that are ahead of us, even younger than us. They have an opportunity to turn around and make life better here on this world with acceptance, with more knowledge and more understanding of our purpose. And that's so key. What is your purpose? Who are you? And who, 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 where do you come from? What are, what is your purpose here on this world? And for a long time, I've kept that with me. And I, I slowly realized that purpose is to accept myself, to love myself for who I am. And that's something I want the young people to know too. Love yourself, 
Love who you are. You were made that way. Nobody made you that way. You were given that. You were given a special opportunity to to learn about yourself and to learn about the gifts that you have within yourself. And we all carry different gifts, different specialties that we need to support each other. And those are so key. And we need to bridge those. We need to bridge those gaps. And uh, before I stop, when, um, when I did go to Toronto, I didn't fit in over there. I, because I knew I was spiritually driven already. I was grew up in ceremony. I grew up this way. <clears throat> I just did not fit with those people. And, uh, and I was oppressed by them too. Oh, you're not a heavy partier. Oh, you don't know nothing. You're from the bush. So they oppressed me and suppressed me down. That was an awful experience. And you're going to encounter that and, and know, know that you have a purpose inside. Look for it. Search for that purpose. And uh, before we go on any further, I'm going to share when I talked about that spiritual woman uh, giving life to for, uh, to us and uh, with those special responsibilities it was the plant world that sang back to her that said I hear you I hear you speaking to us we will give you these rules we'll give you these laws and the second song is about Nanabojo walking making that walk exploring his sexuality exploring what he was given and that's the choice he made he, he reminded us our walk is so important. Everybody's walk on, their, on this world is so important. Don't take your walk lightly because you choose that path. You choose to walk where you are walking. Every day we make that choice. So that song is saying, I choose to walk this way. So that's saying that, uh, that we to love ourselves to appreciate who you are as an individual and to know that what we were given was given to the whole of the world and it was first given to two-spirited people and that those ceremonies belong to everybody. It doesn't belong to one group. There's no specific ceremony for, for one group. It belongs to everybody. It belongs to the whole of the world. So this first song is saying, I hear what the spirit woman is saying to me. And I'm going to go right into the second song, which means uh, uh, I choose to walk this way. <clears throat> Oh, 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 oh,
So those two songs are come with those teachings. And uh, again, I want to remind you that there are no specific ceremonies that are geared to, to, to one group of people. That these ceremonies and these teachings and these psalms belong to everybody. Every individual that is born and every individual that walks this world and every individual looking for a spiritual foundation, these belong to you. And they were first given to, to a boy, a special child named Kishkazit. And Kishkazit in turn became uh, aware of his sexuality and he too was gay, a spiritual, two-spirit individual. And along with the woman that cared for the plant world and, and cared for for the for the continue on the, the continue on it the continuum of life by making sure that we had the right foods which we we call uh, the three sisters and of course uh, Manolman and it was these uh, staple foods that allowed us to survive the last ice age wild rice and corn pumpkins squash beans. Those are the things that saved us during the last ice age. And they also saved us by giving us uh, a spiritual reminder and connection that we must maintain a balance in our environments, that we must maintain a balance within ourselves, and we must love ourselves for who you are as an individual. Love the name you were given. Whether your name is given by spirit, as an Indian name they say, or a spiritual name, or by, by, by way of the blessing of the sacred water. Either way, there's a spirit in all that we do. And uh, we, are, we, are, we are at a point in our lives where we are ready to continue with that work. So with that being said, I want to say miigwech. And again, the story is condensed from three days to... 40 minutes. So there's so much that can be shared, but these are the things I uh, 
leave with you as a start for you because I know how it feels looking for a place, a place of ceremony. And in my mind, I thought there was a place just for us, but we are us, our communities are us. We should feel a part of that and we are slowly bringing that back. Our communities are starting to realize, are we, these people are a part of us. We are a part of them, we're a part of those. So we are coming to terms now that uh, we are revisiting what was given to us in ancient times. We are revitalizing what was stolen from us, what was what was forcibly taken away from our communities. And we are slowly allowing ourselves to be ourselves. So, so keep going. Keep going with your search. Keep going with, uh, with finding your responsibility. Who are you? What is your purpose here? Keep searching for that for that calling. What is your calling? And, and keep walking towards that. And know that there are people like myself and there are probably others like myself that are ready and willing to, to help with uh, revitalizing your spiritual journey and ensuring that you feel safe and comfortable and, and feel that you are a part of this world, that you are born to be a part of this world. So I'd like to say miigwech for inviting me and being a part of, of this uh, beautiful working experience to ensure that we, that we teach our younger people that are behind us, younger than us, that they're they're that they too have purpose. We gotta keep reminding ourselves we too have a purpose. We are born with a purpose. And we're gonna find what that purpose is. And that we're gonna keep supporting each other. So again, Miigwech, I'm gonna stop there because I'm just seeing our time now. So I wanna say Miigwech for listening. And uh, again, these don't belong to me. They're something I heard along the way. There are teachings I was made sure that I paid attention to. So there were elders in my life who, who had families, who made sure that I listened to these teachings. They knew I was gay. They knew I am gay. And they made sure that I carried those forward. And these were all midday people who are no longer here. And I extend my gratitude to, to those that have left. And I thank them for giving me these teachings because I don't think I'd be here today without these. I would have been stuck over there in that, uh, that culture, that, not that, health, that unhealthy culture in Toronto. So I haven't been there for 20 years, so I hope it becomes better, safer, healthier for, for our young people searching for themselves. Thank you so much for sharing, Ron. Um, I've been I've been looking for these teachings for a while, and I I see now why um, colonization would have such a huge impact on what gets shared with us and what gets taken away from our teachings, and why not everyone has these understandings. And and like I've been searching, I I also search for these things, and and I'm really grateful that you shared that story with us today. That's great. Miigwech again for tuning in.